Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John, and joining us this week is the one and only Jamie Paris. And he's going to talk about Space Wolves, of all things, which I'm very excited about. Um, as always, we have the one and only Tom Brady of Warhammer 40K joining us today, Nick Nanavati. Nick's going to help us break down the discussion. Um, Nick, why don't you go ahead, introduce Jamie, talk about some of his accomplishments, and then we'll get into the discussion. Absolutely. Jamie here and I have gone way back. I actually played Jamie at LVO last mm-hmm. uh, two years ago in 2019. That was his first ever tournament game. So right into the deep end did he jump. And since then, he's come quite a long ways. He put up a good fight for a first ever tournament game for sure. And now he's kicking butt over with Space Wolves uh, on a lot of... Uh, Jamie, the what is the team league you're in right now? We're playing the WTC, the World Team Championship. WTC World Team Championship League with uh, Space Wolves on his team. His team right now is undefeated, so not many people talk about Space Wolves. They, you know, normally you hear about White Scars or Dark Angels as the more powerful Space Marine chapters, but Jamie's got some chops to show here. So, Jamie, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Before we get into the list discussion, Nick, I just want to. Remind our listeners that this is episode one of the podcast, part one, as it were, where we have our macro discussion. We're going to talk about what's in the list, why it's in the list, what else we considered putting in the list, and basically the overall strategy. And then as soon as we're done with that, we'll join all of our patrons for part two, where we talk about matchups, how to play the list optimally. And then uh, we'll also talk about it from the other side of the coin. This is a new format change that Nick and I have talked about, where we're going to start talking about ways that you can tweak other armies lists to bother the space wolves list okay jamie why don't you go ahead and start from the top tell us a little bit about what the overall strategy of the list is or i guess basically what was the what was the impetus or what 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 was the inspiration for how you built this list so i picked wolves because i only play ultramarines and wolves in real life so these are the only two armies i played and it so happened that the space wolves were a perfect choice to counter the current meta which were White Scars, Raven Guard, Combat Armies. Having a anti-combat list in a tournament team event setting. And that's pretty much the main reason why we went with Wolves over Ultramarines, over just another gun line. And what we did was we built a list. I'll actually run you through, through the list just so it makes a little more sense. It's a single battalion of Space Wolves. It's a chapter master with lightning claws they've been upgraded with the frost weapon stratagem so they're plus one strength plus one damage he has the world traits hunter for advancing charge and imperium sword to reroll charges and plus one strength and attacks and then there's a librarian with the armor of ross murderous hurricane which is a psychic power to select an enemy unit make them fight last so they can't charge me storm caller which is an aura of cover as well as rights of war which is an aura of obsec just to buff up my units we also have a primary chaplain who's a master of sanctity on bike. He's got mantra of strength, canticle of hate, and benediction of fury. So he's an absolute beat stick in combat. He's flat for damage. In the troop choices, we have two units of blood claws. They're just tactical marines with chain swords and plus one attack when they charge. Very good unit for a counter charge and holding a backfield objective. And, a, and we also have an incursion squad for forward deploying. We have two redemptors, both with plasma. One has a pod on the top. We have three units of Wolf Guard, which are just Vanguard veterans with Lightning Claws and Storm Shields. We have three squads of five. And we also have a squad of Wolfen with Thunderhammer Storm Shields. Then we have two units of Sky Claws. These are just Assault Marines with Chainsaws and Bolt Pistols. Super cheap, very good for trading. A single Cyber Wolf. And then two Landspeeder Storms. And that's the entire list. It's Space Wolf Successors, so they're Born Heroes and Whirlwind of Rage for the plus one to hit and exploding sixes in combat. So fully combat army designed to counter other combat armies. It's a really interesting list you got there. Right at the cusp, it looks not like a space wolf list that I've seen before, right? You have all these wolf guard, which are pretending to be van vets, sky claws. They're basically space wolf assault marines, and I haven't seen an assault marine mm-hmm. table since like <laughs> fifth edition. Um, and then just blood claws, which are just basically space wolf tactical marines. You're not really taking things like Thunder Wolves and Fenrisian Wolves or any of the Space Wolf characters you're playing successors 
and you're taking just a vanilla array of units, if I may, just, you know, mm-hmm. Skyclaws, Vanguard Vets, there's nothing about this seems particularly special. So why does it really come to light together as Space Wolves? So don't get me wrong, Space Wolves, like the actual Space Wolves chapter is incredible. Like they have the most named characters in the game. All the characters are insane. But the problem with the Space Wolves is their chapter tactic, the three-inch heroic intervention for every single unit is extremely powerful until you get to top tables and very good players. A top player will not let you hurricane intervene three inches with your units. If anything, they'll charge them, be outside of an inch, and they'll pile it into a different unit. So that part of the chapter tactic, I found a lot of the times people would just play around. And I wanted a chapter that utilized both of the traits. So the plus one to hit is very similar to the one Space Wolves have. And then the exploding sixes, Whirlwind of Rage. The whole point of the list is behind this. It's having the explosions from World War of Rage stacked with Savage Fury, which is the super doctrine for the Space Wolves, exploding sixes. So now when you're in the Assault Doctrine, you get double exploding sixes on these volume of attack units. They just become murderous. And even just the characters with four or five attacks, double exploding sixes, you hit seven or eight attacks every time they fight, which is just so much fun to see. Yeah, it looks like Born Heroes and Whirlwind Rage. I've used it before. It's really powerful. You get basically a 100% hit rate mm-hmm. uh, when you're factoring plus one to hit and exploding sixes before you give any of your many, many Space Marine rerolls. Mm-hmm. So it's no doubt in my mind that you're you're combining this um, with a Space Wolves Super Savage Fury to really get the hits going. My question to you, Jamie, I guess, is this this makes sense for your Chapter Master as well, why there is one, because you give a unit full rerolls to mm-hmm. hits and then you get way more sixes. Um, are you also using the Space Wolves strat or the Space Marine strat that makes your units go into Assault Doctrine on the early turns before you get into Assault 100%. Doctrine? 100%. So because I have to wait until turn three to get my double exploding sixes, sometimes your opponent gets too close or you have to send something forward to buy yourself some time. Having that one CP strat to put a unit into the Assault Doctrine or the other one, the, the general two CP strat to put a unit into all Doctrines, being able to select the unit, one CP, you're an Assault Doctrine, select by the Chapter Master, you now have double exploding sixes, full rerolls, hitting on twos. So the math, the way the math works out is your sixes double explode and your ones only miss one attack. So when you attack with full rerolls, you reroll everything that's not a six because one six still generates more hits than a miss. So you're just fishing for sixes with any unit. And that's really powerful early, especially with like the Skyclaw units that I like to trade early to hit objectives, remove some obsec, they just become really, really killy for just being assault marines. And just, I have two ways of full rerolls. I have the chapter master, and I have the chaplain with a full reroll aura, which works on the characters. Okay, so now now I'm starting to see it. Your units all hit super hard. That goes pretty much without saying. That's part mm-hmm. of the territory of space walls. And uh, because of that, you can always trade up, right? You have these like 100-point Skyclaw units that punch way above their weight class and can trade into the enemy really mm-hmm. effectively. Is that kind of the idea? Absolutely, because Space Wolves have a stratagem that when they charge for one CP, you can give them plus one a wound. So even though Wolf Guard, uh, the Skyclaws don't reroll wounds because they don't have Lightning Claws, with a plus one a wound, you can want wound T3 on threes or twos, T4 on threes. Like You can now wound uh, Death Guard, even vehicles. The kill power of a single Space Wolves unit is ridiculous and it really helps for trading early on when you don't want to commit with your good units i like to keep my wolf guard back until everyone's in assault doctrine and then i go murderize the opponent and just having those little units that are still effective for a hundred points is really really powerful in my eyes yeah so one of the things i've noticed with with this army i guess like there's pretty much no shooting aside from two redemptors so how does it like play on the table when you deploy it you reserve stuff how do you deploy it so the redemptor shooting is horrible their d6 shots on the plasma i will always roll a one or a two but my opponent doesn't know that an (laughs) opponent can't risk me rolling six shots on a redemptor and killing five inceptors or popping a tank or bracketing a knight they can't afford that so it forces my opponent to play slightly more conservative and stay a little back or not push forward for those angles that will get Lanos out of my units so they're there to make my opponent think that they need to stay slightly back i rarely care about my redemptor shooting they're incredible in combat they have five attacks in combat they will hit on twos double exploding six it's the full combo 
D3 plus 3 damage. They're really, really good in combat. But the way my my army deploys is I like to deploy as forward as possible, but in cover because that two-up armor from the Storm Shields goes to one-up in cover, makes my units super resilient. And I normally plan where my jump spots are going to be. I look where the terrain pieces are, I look where the objectives are, and I plan where my turn one and turn two moves are going to be to keep my key units safe before I charge my opponent. That's normally how I play them. Now, the list also has a second playstyle, which is just Death Ball. Instead of jumping around, I deploy in a circle on my deployment edge, and I just advance it into the middle of the board. And then my librarian will cast the cover psychic power, so an aura of cover. And then I'll spend two CP to give an aura of minus one to be hit. So every single one of my units will be minus one to be hit and cover, including the Redemptors or the Wolf Guard, everyone. So two up armors, one up armors, minus one to be hit. And that lets me soak up a lot of damage before I charge my opponent. And I normally do that when I'm forced to rush up the board. If there's not good terrain or something like that. Exactly. I, I also imagine that puts tremendous scenario pressure on your opponent when you do mm -hmm. that, right? Because mm -hmm. you're going to be standing on all the middle objectives, you know, <laughs> and they're mm -hmm. not going to want to go to them at all, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's a lot of fun when I deploy my two Redemptors on my line, everyone else around them. And my, my opponents hide, like measure where they can go and where they can shoot, and then they hide a little bit. And then I go, cool, I'm going to advance both my Redemptors. And I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to advance my Redemptors into the midboard. They'll move the 10, 12 inches, everyone behind them. I am now 10 inches of your deployment zone. You can either kill my Redemptors, which are my shooting. You can try and kill some of my Wolf Guard that have a one-up armor. You can pick off my little units, but whatever you don't kill will charge you next turn, especially with the plus two to charge from the Chaplain. Those Redemptors are now moving to eight inches. They're two inches of your deployment edge with a plus two to charge. Like I'm going to charge you with whatever I've got. And normally, if most of my units survive, that can be really devastating to my opponent's early game, especially denying primary points. Yeah, so it sounds like you can really put the, the pedal to the metal and put the pressure on mm -hmm. Um That's something that's really undervalued, I think, in ninth edition, because if you can just get the jump on somebody early, it's hard mm -hmm. to come back, especially in some of the hold two missions. Mm -hmm. If I can deny you primary for turn one, so turn top of turn two and turn three, and you can only score primary for two turns, because you can table me in four turns and you only have one turn of scoring primary, that can be really big and that can win me the game. If I'm forced to play like that. And I have. <laughs> yeah. So I guess in that aspect, you, you don't want to play your army as a threat overload concept, but it totally can if it has to. If I have to, yes. That's really cool. And I think having a very flexible army that can adapt its playstyle and situation mm -hmm. is, uh, is pretty imperative. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's shift gears for a second because I need to talk about the elephant in the room here. Why are there Wolfguard? How Wolf have you done it? Wolfguard? Sorry, no, no, I'm sorry, not Wolfguard. Wolfen. 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 Yes. Oh, man. When uh, um, I remember, if you remember, between the Space Wolves Index and the Codex, I was hoping Wolfen would get a buff. And the Space Wolf Codex dropped, and we looked, like, my friends and I, like, looked at the Codex together, and we opened the page for the Wolfen. And they've gone to T5. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. T5 instead of T4, that's brilliant. I was like, oh, the Storm Shield's turned into a 4-up, and one instead of a 3-up, that's okay. And we start looking through the data sheet, and we start looking for the 5-up Fino pin that they used to have. We can't find it. It's like, oh, no. No 5-up Fino pin. That's, that's not great. That's okay. At least we can advance and charge. It's like, oh, hold up. They can't. So they lost the funeral pain, the three-up invon, the advance and charge. It's like, oh, what did they do to the wolfen? Yeah, what did they do? It's just, oh, we were all so sad. And then I was like, but we still gotta run them. Like it's wolfen. They they still they still delete anything they touch. They just die really quickly. So I still like them in my list for two reasons. One, they give an aura of reroll charges, which if your space will successors. You have to pick between the Armor of Ross, one of the, we'll talk about that later, super important relic in the list, and uh, the Wolfenstone, which is an aura of reroll charges. Wolfen have that aura. So they're almost vital in the list to, to just give you that reliance on the charges because charging is super important. But I don't think I've ever heard Wolfen be described as support before. That's the thing is, I now play my Wolfen for late game. I put them behind the wall holding an objective, or near the middle behind the wall. And I use them turn three or turn four to go hit something big, or Wolfen. So here's another thing. Wolfen used to fight, kill something, consolidate into something else, fight twice, then die, then fight again. You could get Wolfen fighting three times. Now oh, they can only fight me. on death if they have not activated. 
Yes, they, they can no longer do that. They only fight on death if they have not activated. So it's it's always nice to have them on an objective because they can hurricane intervene six inches for one CP. That's just a space war stratagem. I can have them on objective defending it. And if someone puts OPSEC on there, I can hurricane intervene into them and kill them. If they charge me, I still kill them because I fight on death. So they're there for defense and supporting my army, believe it or not. Completely different to 8th edition. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard Wolf and using a support role at all. There, like, there's a lot of ways to get reroll charges into your army, though. You could take a, a warlord trade, I believe, and you can also just use a command point. How, like, why is charging so integral that you're using Wolfen to fill the role here? Especially because they can just be shot if they're hiding behind walls and not near the front line, giving these auras. So I start the games on six command points. I spend six command points pre-game. Uh, two to take the armor of rust because it's a space wolf's relic and I'm a successor, so I have to pay two CP to take it. One for an extra relic, either the frost scroll or the benediction of fury. And then another three CP to do a double warlord trade on my chapter master, a warlord trade of obsec on my librarian, and wiser raider on my chaplain. So I start on six CP. I need those CP for plus one a wound, interrupts, fighting on death, key rerolls. I don't want to spend a CP reroll on a five inch charge. I just don't. It, it feels bad. And gotcha. and the Wolfen move eight inches with an advance plus a six inch aura. You're talking a fourteen plus d six range for that aura. You you still get it where you need it if you're playing the Wolfen slow. I just don't want a CP reroll of four or five inch charge. Yeah, yeah, it's just insurance so you don't spend CP. Exactly, you get a unit out of it. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Um, do you, have you found they do enough in this like kind of backseat capacity for your army? Yeah, because I tell my opponents, like, hey, they don't advance and charge. And I go, oh, great, don't have to worry about them for like two, three turns. So some people ignore them. Uh, they're also T5, so they do require quite a lot of uh, shooting to kill. And when people get slightly too close and you charge, and now you, you, you move your inches, you charge your six inches, you pile in three, you consolidate three, you suddenly moved 20 inches with your wolf, and they're now in a completely different area of the board being completely threatening and just being a pain and they help me kill really tough units specifically custodies and mortarian because shutting down rerolls wolfen are not core so they get no rerolls so they go on the charge they hit on threes you can spin you can spend keen senses to make them hit on two so that's ignore modifiers and then they're strength 10 so they're wounding most things or most things on threes or twos and you can spend plus one a wound on them so I want Mortarion on twos. They're there to kill the big things that the rest of my army can't deal with. I love that you've uh, you've somehow turned the fact they're not core and don't get rerolls into a bonus for yourself. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> my entire army relies on rerolls. For the exploding sixes, for the reroll wounds, having something that does not rely on them helps you with those difficult key units. It does make sense. Yeah. I mean, they, they completely hit hard independently of all the rules that mm -hmm. all these things ignore now. Yeah. You're minus two to be hit, minus one to be hit in combat. Don't care. I ignore it. You're minus one to be wounded in combat. Don't care. I have plus one to wound. Strength and 10. The, thing, the things they would struggle with are tons of dudes because Thunderhammers kind of suck at that. But that, you're playing Space Wolves. These attacks are not exactly. your issue. And, and like, don't give me Wolf and a four attacks on the charge. It's 16 Thunderhammer attacks plus. Six frost claws, which are uh, strength six, AP two, one damage. All of and the the wolfen always count as being in the salt doctrine, so they can't do actions, and they always count as being in the salt doctrine. That means they always have double exploding sixes. So your sixteen thunder hammer attacks hitting on twos, double exploding sixes turns into like 24, 26 hits, wounding on twos. Like these things don't mess with <laughs> your your hammers kill hordes. That's really cool, actually. Yeah, you can, they kill basically anything. And if, as long as you have ample ruins to play on, which these days most tables do, mm -hmm. um, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Just get there. This list does require a lot of terrain to play well. Um, I've thought about, like, you know, if I go to a tournament where the terrain is not great, I might want to drop the Wolfen for a third Redemptor. But just that reroll charges and that threat is, is too good to drop them. So even on a low terrain, tournament i think i would still keep the t the list the same i'm really surprised you're uh you're liking the redemptors so much because you, like you said the plasma it's very volatile with d6 shots and transhuman sucks so mm -hmm. just between invuls and transhuman it's not getting too much value and if you're advancing them why not go for something cheaper and, and more hitty like a wolfendred that has an invul as well it does but those 13 wounds go a very very long way 
and having that access to the shooting, like say I go against like an Admec bomber without chaff, chaff launchers, I can shoot that bomber dead. It's having access to the shooting if I need it. And the Redemptor shooting is still great with chapter master rerolls. It's still, you have the eight uh, onslaught gallon cannons, the storm bolters, the pod. Like it's still yeah, good it's shooting. Still Removing that like tiny little unit in front of you that's move blocking you or that unit that can hurt intervene or do something annoying. It's, it's still nice. And the D3 plus three damage is huge. So they're there to be a bullet magnet. If they die, they die. But then the rest of my army is alive. If you kill both my Redemptors, you have not shot at my Wolf Guard, most likely, unless you've got an incredibly efficient gun line. And they're there to be shot so that the rest of my army can get in. And if you don't shoot them, then they get in and charge you. So would you say a lot of games you're exposing your army to just your opponent's whole firepower for a turn, just seeing how much damage you can do? Or is your is your goal really just not to be shot and this is all plan B? Um, it depends. If I can mitigate your shooting, I'll try. But if you have artillery, like Hive Guard, I hate Hive Guard. We'll talk about that later. Um, I, I I will just go right in the middle. If if I don't have an if I can't take your chip damage for too long, I, I'm forced to rush and hope that I can tank your damage. Well, I'm pushing forward with a lot of units. Because I've got a lot of fast units. The land speeder storms, they move 18 inches. We haven't talked about those much, but they're great for moving 18 inches and trying to tag things. Let's just talk about that right now. You have these solo land speeder storms. Mm-hmm. You have these cyber wolves. What's the? You have a lot of chaff for a space marine army. What's the idea here? So having units to trade early when I don't want to trade my good units, it's extremely valuable, not only for trying to mess with your opponent's game plans, but also scoring points. So my list does a lot better if I go first because I get to push forward and then charge you. But if I go second, I score better. I can get engaged. I know how many objectives you're on. Oath of Moment is an almost guaranteed 15 points because I just have to put a model in the midboard. So between the two speeders and the Cyberwolf, I've got three models that I do not care about that will score me points, either Engage or Oath of Moment. And you can kill my 15-point Cyberwolf for my 55-point speeder. They're also great for screening and spreading out, stopping the jump, and eating smites. Just having those three incredibly cheap models to score me points and keep the rest of my stuff alive is super valuable. Yeah, and I find a lot of times these super aggressive assault armies, they run out of people to hold their backfield objectives mm-hmm. or be screens. So having some quick little real throwaway screens can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I get what you're what you're saying with, with how your army plays, uh, but do you find getting there is a bit of an issue? You know, you're not white scars without advance and charge. You hit, I guess, similarly to Blood Angels. You know, you hit better, but you wound a little bit worse, but you had a plus strat. I'm really just the speed. Is that been an issue at all? It is if your opponent can kite you, but based on how ninth edition missions are laid out, almost all the objectives are mid-board or out of your or out of your deployment zones. So your opponent can't really backline. If you're backlining and I can never charge you, I'm gonna win on primary. So because most of the scoring is done in the mid-board, I don't find it too problematic. Now, there's problems with like specific units like the Admech Raiders where they can like move away from you and it's very hard to catch up with them. There's ways around them. We can talk about that again later as well. But Definitely in part two. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's, there's some things you can do to mitigate that. But I don't normally find my opponent running away from me too much because they're forced to come and play primary. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So then I have another question. Mm-hmm. Once you get there, one of the things combat armies always struggle with is the generic stratagem in the rulebook for interruptions. Because mm-hmm. if you just charge in with like five sky claws here, five wolf guard over there, and a redemptor over here, after the first combat, players can interrupt and then start beating you up and making you lose units in your own turn and losing trades. So how does this army get around that issue? So space wolves have two ways of making your opponent fight last. I have armor rust one of the most incredible relics in the game. I mean, I love it. I'm a little biased, but uh, Armor of Rust lets you, sell at the beginning of the fight phase, you select an enemy unit within an inch. So something you're in engagement range with. They, you make them fight last, they cannot interrupt. Then my librarian also has a psychic power, Murder's Hurricane. I select the unit within 18 inches, does not need line of sight. I make you fight last and you can't overwatch. So I've got two ways of making two units fight last that cannot be interrupted. So that means I can charge those two units and a third 
activate on that third one without having to worry about you interrupting. And normally, I can do a fourth charge with my Wolfen that if you decide to interrupt on them, they're just going to fight on death and kill you as well. So it's not that bad of a loss for me. You can get four different combats going before... Without worrying about it too much. Yeah. That's that's crazy. I guess, though, in your list, and this is something I, I noted when I played a similar variation, you put Armor of Us on your uh, Rune Priest? Yeah, on the Librarian, yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was a really interesting choice, and I personally didn't like it when I played it with that, and I'll, I'll tell you why and let you tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> the I found that he kind of wanted to hang back a little bit further, because if my opponent had denies, I wanted to get my spells off without being in deny range. It's a pretty important spells. And also... It put all my eggs in one basket. He actually died in the game I played, and I was like, well, I guess I don't have to fight last anymore. And that felt bad to me. So what's the thought there? So it, it, you're absolutely right. It does hurt to have both the sources of your fight last on the same model. The biggest problem about Armor of Rust is when you're using it defensively, you need to be able to Heracle and Sivine. The only other two models that can take Armor of Rust in my army are the Chapter Master and the Chaplain. The Chapter Master has his Frost Claws, so I don't want to give it to him. And the chaplain, being a Primaris biker, his base is huge, and it's really hard to hurt and Sivine with him to get Armor of Rust where you want it. Good players, if they see you with Armor of Rust on a large base, they will measure where you can move with your Hurricane Intervention and stay outside of an inch of there. Because you have to go around your models. So having it on a tiny little base that can move in between my units is the only way to play Armor of Rust effectively defensively without getting outplayed. It also gives the Librarian a 2-up armor and a 4-up bin one, which makes him a little tanky. But he's only 4 wounds, T4, so if someone wants him dead, he dies. But it's, it's, that, it's for that reason. Is I need the base size to be appropriate for what I need it to do in-game. I think that, that's a beautiful thing you just touched on. I've seen so many people play Space Wolves and take some Thunderwolf character, put mm-hmm. Armor of Rust in there. That is the easiest thing in the world to not get heroic by. Yeah, you know, he can't absolutely. walk through walls because that's Thunderwolf. Mm-hmm. He can't walk through models because he doesn't fly. He's got a 60 mil base, so he can't fit through coherency and stuff. Literally stop doing that. Put him exactly. on a jump pack and and just go where you would like. Use your rules. Jump pack with a 32 millimeter base because you fit through the two inch coherency in between your models. So you can like string your units and fit in between your models. And you people won't be able to stop you unless they charge you with multiple units. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, do you ever find in this list that uh, opposing armies like can ever punch you out? And this is more just theoretical. Like, I always say, if you're going to do one thing, you better be the best at it. Usually, that's kind of in reference to gun lines, but in this case, it's going to be in reference to punchiness. You ever find that if someone just beat is better at you than combat, or does that not really come into play? So, yes, there are armies and factions and list builds that are even better at combat than I am. But I find more often than not, those are built around huge units that have insane amount of kill power, like a 10-man Terminator, Deathwing Blob, or whatever. Something ridiculously yeah, powerful like in combat. Or something. Exactly. But if you have two or three units that are ridiculously powerful, I make two of them fight last, either with a psychic power and armor of rust, and I ignore the, and I outrange the third one. So my list was designed for this purpose, to be able to counter melee army something that has very powerful units in combat that i can just make you fight last and it gets a little trickier against like things like sinesh that I fight first but in general if you have few very killy units i can control the engagement which is where i want to be makes very much sense to me um i think because you have the fight last you really separate yourself because most of these units save for death ring knights don't have the durability to uh, withstand you. Mm-hmm. So if you can just get the attacks first, it's really just mm-hmm. glass cannon versus glass cannon, mm-hmm. and you uh, you have more cannons to fire, I guess. And then it's it's the fight last comboed with another unit hurricane intervening six inches. So like I make you fight last, and I'm going to hurricane intervene with another unit, so now I'm going to fight you with two to three units. Mm-hmm. It's just too much. Yeah. yeah. So... Okay, I, I get why you overcomplicate the assault phase for your opponent and you pressure them on primary terribly and shooting you is fairly ineffective. All, all that makes awesome sense to me. Um, how do you play the mission on your end? Because as you said, your plan is to get tabled by turn four in a lot of cases, but win anyway. What does that actually look like? So if I'm expecting to get tabled because my opponent's damage output is too much for me to withstand for five turns if I play slow, I need to... 
on primary, I need to score points early as well as deny my opponent's point early. So what I'll try and do is overload, put a bunch of units on multiple objectives. So if I've got a Skyclaw unit and a Speeder on an objective, you, they're not a dangerous unit, so you're not going to invest a lot of resources to kill them when there's 15 Wolfguard in front of you. So if I overload you with threats in the middle and I've got useless units on objectives, you're going to be focused in the middle. And that lets me score a lot of points on primary early. Then I'm going to hit your objectives, kill whatever's holding the objectives, not necessarily kill the things that are going to kill me. So I can deny you points for a turn or two. And hopefully, if things go well, the difference will be large enough that I'll win the game. If I'm not pressured to do that, I'll play slower and I'll play the 10 points primary turn one, turn two, and then go and do that late game. Yeah, so it's really kind of accelerated based on how quickly uh, or not quickly you think your opponent's going to be able to kill mm -hmm. you. Yeah, and it all depends, it all depends on matchups. The playstyle right. depends on matchups and terrain. Well, that's exciting because in part two, it's all about matchups. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that a lot. Of course. Uh, before we do that, though, I do have a couple more questions. Mm -hmm. What is uh, what is your plan, I guess, for or not for secondaries? Just general, like, what secondaries do you take? How do you budget CP? What's your thoughts on like generic game stuff? So, in terms of secondaries, um, sp uh, Space Marines have access to an incredible secondary called Oath of Moment. There's three ways of scoring points. You have have a model in the middle of the map for two points. Don't fail leadership, being a space marine, one point, and kill a character vehicle, one point. And you get up to four points each battle round. So you have a maximum of 20 points that you can score on that oath of moment, capping at 15. That means you can lose up to five points of those three ways of scoring points throughout the game. So if turn one, I don't kill a character, that's one point. If turn two, I don't have a unit in the middle, that's two more points. Like I can lose points throughout the game and still cap at 15, which not a lot of secondaries let you do. So that's extremely powerful. Then you have the secondaries of uh, Engage. I've got the Speeders, I've got the Skyclaws, I've got the Cyberwolf. So I'm normally scoring two to points every single round on those, sometimes three, if I overextend or forced to rush up. And then you have either Banners, if you have a, two objectives in your deployment zone, uh, Mission Specifics, Priority target, sweep and clear, vital intelligence sometimes. There's, there's, you normally find a way to pick that third. It's normally engage, oath, and then either mission specific or something your opponent gives you or banners. Do you ever look at uh, your baseball specific secondaries? I used to. Um, I used to love running. The, I don't remember the name of the secondary. It's the one where you get uh, three points if you make two charges. So if two of your units charge, you get three points. So Basically saying, if you play your Space Wolves army, you get three points. Yeah. Um, Mark Perry actually showed me how he runs his Eliminators. He forward deploys them, and then using the Carbine move, he moves six inches and then charges, and that's how he gets his points early on. I've moved away from that just because it doesn't fit into this list. And I find myself not taking them anymore. I have taken once the, the Space Wolves secondary, which is like, you declare one of your characters and he issues a challenge to your opponent and your opponent gets to accept with one of their characters. And if my character kills your character in combat, it's 15 points. If I kill your character with anyone in combat, it's 10. And if I just kill you, it's five points. That secondary, I took it against a Castellan. He accepted with a Castellan. It didn't really work out. <laughs> so I got zero points <laughs> on that one. But no, I, I prefer taking Oath of Moment and Gage and Banners. Just because I don't want to be forced into a playstyle. Like, I don't want to be forced to charge you when I'm not ready or it's not a good time. Definitely, definitely. There's nothing worse than being forced to do things you don't want to. I totally understand that. And a lot of secondaries force you into that playstyle. Definitely. So, uh, you didn't mention engage, or, uh, engage in all fronts or scramblers as like go tos. And I figured that's something that a lot of armies do try to make their go tos. Why are you not? Leaning into that. So engaging on fronts is a definitely go-to. This scramblers is tricky because I have to dedicate a unit in deep strike to go get it. And sometimes I find myself, if I'm forced to take scramblers, it means it's not a great matchup. And I don't want to be wasting a unit just to do that secondary. I don't have a like devastator unit that can drop in, shoot, and do an action kind of thing. So I don't like the fact that it's only 10 points. 
So it means you're not maxing out scores or those five points sometimes come in very, very handy to beat your opponent when it's a very tight game. I just, I don't like how it forces me to play the pro scramblers. But sometimes you have to yeah. take it. It's a very easy secondary to score most of the time. But I'd rather try and push for other secondaries that will get me 11 or 12 points. Makes sense to me. Yeah, you just want the opportunity cost. Um, the opportunity cost of not getting the false score is really high as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I have found, and again, I helped Mark work on those eliminators for Spaceballs actually, um, was they did a lot of stuff for you. They, uh, as you said, as they give you ability to make weird charges on turn one. Um, they also give you access to guerrilla tactics, which your encouragers do as well to help mm-hmm. you out with scramblers and engage in a pinch. Um, is that like? Just tech you brought in, so you have the option, or is that something else? Um, I, I would consider running the eliminators on top of the incursors. The incursors are there to forward deploy, to be on a forward objective, sometimes screen, move block, pregame moves. But I would like to have the eliminators. Maybe I'm just not sure what I would drop for them. Um, the fact that my list is a pure combat army, they don't fit in very well. Right. Yeah. It's just a preference at that point. I think the list can be tweaked in between the 200 points, like with those last 200 points, but it's just a player preference, I think, at this point. Yeah, I was really just asking on the thoughts there. Um, John, was there anything you wanted to ask Jamie while we were here? Yeah. Um, can we, for the newer players, talk about what, what, because you have a lot of different units what you're trying to put them into specifically so they know how to line up. Because the the main thing with combat armies is you want to take where you have the damage profiles that do really well into certain Mm -hmm. things, right? And I think think that's a real struggle for newer players. So if we could just kind of break it down, like I'm trying to get this unit engaged with these kinds of things, um, it might help a new player pick this list up and be more successful. Absolutely. So all of my units have access to reroll hits. So normally in terms of your hit output, it doesn't really matter what you're attacking. What matters is what you're wounding on. So there's there's three brackets. You're wounding either on threes, on fours, or fives. Because you have access to plus one a wound, you'll never wound worse than a five, except in some edge cases. So you need to know what you're going to be wounding on and if you have access to rerolls. If you're wounding on threes, you don't really need rerolls. If you're wounding on fours, you kind of want rerolls, and that's where the lightning claws are incredible. If you're wounding on fives, you either not expecting to kill it, or if you have the rerolls, you have a possibility of killing it. Wounding on fives, rerolling, puts out a lot more wounds than you expect. So it's about fifty-five percent. Mm-hmm. And and you just don't expect it when you roll it, and it, it it's it sometimes catches both you and your opponent off guard. Well, I think it's because also when you're just wounding on fours, you know it's fifty percent, but it can go up or down. Mm-hmm. Once you introduce rerolls, you get a lot more consistency out mm-hmm. of that. So like the fifty-five percent feels much more solid than like a four up is a fifty percent. Absolutely. So I mentioned before the redemptors are incredible in combat because they've got five attacks, I would explain sixes. But as soon as you don't have rerolls, and I roll ones all the time with these redemptors. If you roll three ones to hit on your redemptor, it feels really, really bad. And you need to be aware that the, these units, their damage output varies significantly if you have rerolls or not. And that's something you need to understand about your army and your units and how they interact on their output. If they have rerolls, you can bank a little more on the consistency. If you don't have rerolls, you really need to think about how much you're going to dedicate into this target. And I think that's a very thing to important thing to understand about you, your list, any faction, any army. You need to understand the reliability of your unit's damage output. 100%. So I'm really glad you highlighted that. I think a lot of people get stuck on the first layer of math, which is, you know, if I roll three dice, I should get uh, two out of three past saves. Mm-hmm. But there's also there's a probability to it, which is how often that actually happens. And with rerolls, you get much better probability mm-hmm. curves. Absolutely. And and it is a bill curve. And you need to be aware that if you're going to roll 100 dice, you will roll 33 ones and twos, 33 five and sixes. And those can happen at any point because you, you'll roll hundreds of dice during a game. And you could roll 10 ones in one go and then 10 sixes the roll after. You need to understand that that's how the math works and be aware that that can happen in very inconvenient places. Absolutely. I always, I was actually teaching a class in our Math Hammer Clinic in the war the other day. And the concept was like, 
our, our math statistician, analyzed one of my games against Richard Ziegler. And he literally sat there. He's a madman. Mm-hmm. And he sat there and he counted every die roll because we got that new fancy dice tray. Mm-hmm. And he, he figured out how many ones we rolled, how many twos we rolled, threes, fours, five, sixes to figure out who actually rolled the worst. And as you said, Jamie, thousands of dice were rolled during this game. And statistically, Siegs and I both rolled, like, I think I rolled like 16.5% on each number or something, or like somewhere up by or down by like 0.1 compared to like 16.6666. Mm-hmm. But that's like perfectly reasonable. It was that exactly. level of, of average. But the moments of luck didn't come from, you know, I rolled so many ones. It's all about when they happen. Exactly. And you can't, the thing with 40k, because it's a probability game at the end of the day, you can't get hang up on what you roll sometimes, especially when you're banking on it. If you don't, because of my units explode on double sixes, and my my wolf guard units have 21 attacks, so I roll 21 dice, you're expecting to roll three and a half sixes, and say you don't roll a single one. It sometimes gets very upsetting if it happens in a very crucial time of the game, and you just can't get upset about it. and get focused on that role because next role you might roll 10 sixes to balance it out so just understanding how that's going to work throughout the game is very important definitely okay well that lead, that leads me to a question for your own personal play style with this list right because because there's a couple ways because of the way that you stack into combat and you make everybody swing last and you can do multi-charges are you more likely to um hedge your bets and play conservatively i.e put overwhelming force to remove two of your opponent's units, for example, or will you swing into like three or four units and just say, well, on average, I'm going to do really well. And if, if my dice get hot, then I'm, I'm going to cripple my opponent. Like, are you, are you a home one hitter or are you hitting for That's a really interesting question because I personally like to overcommit into things. Like I'm going to charge with three units, even though mathematically I only need one to kill you. And the reason is, one, I don't want to whiff because it, it it can hurt, especially if you bank a lot of gameplay on those moves. You don't want it to go wrong, and sometimes you can't afford it to go wrong. But also, there's things that you can gain from overcommitting. If I charge three units when I only need one, I can still get move like the pilot and the consolidate out of those other units. If I don't split my attacks and I only overkill one unit, I can wrap the other unit. So you look for things that you can do on top of overcommitting instead of trying to just bank on the dice going great for you. I like that concept a lot. Can can we go a little deeper into that? Like um can let's let's do an example. Nick, can you put together I, an I example? I actually have uh, an example or, of this from my game of John where I played uh, a slight variation of Jamie's list, a much worse version if I'm being honest, but um <laughs> I was playing John's Knights. This was on our YouTube channel just last week. Um and I was using Jamie Spaceballs more. I watched it. Those knights were crazy. Oh my gosh. So there was there was crazy. a moment where I chapter mastered uh five Vanguard vets and it was going to like a, it was like a 15 wound night. So I made them Savage Fury. It was Assault Doctrine. I got Chapter Master going. And my sergeants had Thunderhammers. And let me tell you about Space Wolf Thunderhammers. When those things roll sixes with the rerolls, bad, bad things. <laughs> so um, I was going into this night, 15 wounds left. I'd done the math. I was like, this thing is friggin' dead. And I had these Wolf, uh, Wolf Guard, uh, the Blood Claws, Blood Claws right nearby. And they could have charged in also. It was a charge out of reserve, but I had a chapel nearby, so it was a 7-inch charge. I failed the charge, and then I forgot, because I've not played space before, that the Wolfen actually give you reroll charges. Mm-hmm. So that somehow actually mattered in my game. Good job, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they failed the charge. I didn't use the CP to reroll it. I had a free reroll from the Wolfen, but I forgot. Um, then the, the, the you know dice happened, and the Vanguard lets left this stupid knight alive at one wound because I just didn't roll that many sixes on the Thunderhammer despite all my rerolls, and the math then swung wildly out of balance. And it lived on one wound and survived, and then acted at full and fell back and killed my army, and that's yeah, pretty much where I lost the game. Mm-hmm. But like that, so much of what you said just came into practice right there. The Wolfen for the reroll charges, overcommitting to make sure the knight died, the whole, the whole shebang, like understanding the math, like and that really summed it all up for me. Absolutely. And then if you had had that unit of Skyclaws, say you do kill it and then that unit doesn't do anything, you still get to pile in and consolidate your six inches. Now you're move blocking. Now you're protecting your Wolfguard unit. It's- well, I actually, I could have set it up with those consolidated and stolen mm-hmm. objective and scored me five more primes. Yeah. It was a whole, yeah. it was terrible. <laughs> so I do have one more question then. 
Um, how does that play off against your desire to peace trade, right? So you're going to initiate with one of your fast units? What do you mean? <laughs> so you're, so you, you have to balance that, right? Because sometimes you're going to send in a unit and force your opponent to sort of deal with it and fight mm -hmm. it, right? But if you put three units into your opponent, then he gets a dealer's choice on what he wants to take out, right? He um, does. <clears throat> with his counterpunch, right? So I'm just kind of curious how you play those decisions off. Like, I suppose late game, it's a different decision than it is early game, that kind of thing. So if if after that combat and those three units are exposed, my opponent has the kill power to kill all three, that's something you got to think about if you really want to do, maybe you only send one, maybe you send two, understanding you're going to lose those units if they leave that safe spot where they were at, especially within your defensive buffs. But if your opponent gets to only kill one of those three, I send those three in, you kill that one that was going to be there anyways, I now have two units further forward ready to charge you even deeper into your lines. So it all depends on the game state of what your opponent can do with those units that you present. Sounds good to me. Um... I, I'm really excited for these wolves. Like I'm literally, I've now played a game, and I'm literally listening to everything you say come and come true. I'm having and so much fun with them. Now, now I want to talk about these matchups. Let's go. All right, let's John, do it. Um, is there anything else you want to ask Jamie about uh, how his army plays on the strategic level? Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> yeah, I do actually have one final question um, before we move on to the next discussion. It and that's it's a pretty simple one. What other pieces have you considered for this list? And what other like tech pieces or tweaks have you considered with, you know, if the meta changes? I mean, let's give, let's give especially our newer listeners um, some options. So maybe they don't have everything in the list. Uh, you know, absolutely some substitutions or whatever so, you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the previous version of this list is the very small change. Instead of the incursors and the cyberwolf, I had a unit of infiltrators. Infiltrators are a space marine unit that have a uh, ability to screen twelve inches around them. So no deep strikes, no reserves, twelve inches around them extremely powerful especially against like uh psychic powers like the jump or deep striking units from the sisters repentia coming on the sides just being able to screen out 12 inches was super powerful i decided to drop them and go with the incursors and the cyber wolf just because i could just suck it up and learn how to screen better and have that, that is my plan <laughs> every time yes jamie just just learn how to screen better you don't need infiltrators if you learn <laughs> i still need to learn how to screen better because i still make a lot of mistakes with that but having the cyber will to play the mission a little better and then there's there's about 300 points in the list that i feel that you can change and the list still does what it does so there's a unit in the space in the space was codex called long fangs they're basically devastators and they're super cool because you can spend keen senses on them so they ignore the penalty for the heavy weapons you can bring them down in the drop pod and they let you bring an extra heavy weapon so you can have five grav or four grav in a multi-melter and the reason why you want to go four grav in a multi-melter is because you can put the signum from the sergeant and the cherub to shoot that multi-melter twice a friend from london his name is nasim he taught me how to do that really cool tech that you can just choose which weapon you need depending on the opponent and you can take two of those in a drop pod. You can take some Thunder Wolves, depending on how much terrain you're expecting to play with. There's 300 points in the list that you can do anything you want with. I really like my setup for my characters. You can go Chapter Master on Thunder Wolf if you, if you want to, just because it's a super cool model. And you could do some more Wolfen. But there's about 300 points that I think you can change. And the list will still be a lot of fun to use and do a lot of damage. And bringing more guns is not always bad. Putting a power fist on a Devastator Sergeant will surprise you with the Exploding Sixes. Because Keen Senses is a stratagem used in the shooting phase, and it's in effect until the end of the turn. So that grab comes down, they hit on threes, rerolling ones, or you can get them the plus one to hit from the Chaplain Litany if you take it. And then they charge in, and they ignore the modifier in combat so the power fist still hits on twos instead of fours so now your combat your graph unit is now a combat unit and that's always a lot of fun to see on the board but there's a lot of things you can change in the list those 300 points basically uh what are the what are the 300 so points that come out i would uh, drop the sky claws yeah. and the speeders just because those are weird units to have and if you want to go more killy those are the units that are there to play the mission if you drop those 310 points you can go kill your with the list. It doesn't play the mission as well, but you can have more fun with it. Okay. And then last question. If if somebody was a new player and they wanted to play maybe not such a nuanced game, but more of a 
uh, like you said, the second play style, which is the aggressively mm-hmm. threat overload. What would you suggest that they swap in? Because obviously the storms and stuff don't don't play into that strategy very well. I'm kind of curious because I because I have this vision of a newer player who loves space wolves could take your list and then add 300 more points of killy stuff, move into the center of the board, play hard mm-hmm. on the mission, and you know, um, do you have some. Success? So this being a battalion list, you already have the three HQ, uh, HQ slots. You have your three troop choices. There's not really other good troop choices that are good in combat. You have your six elites. I wouldn't mess around too much with the elites. The Redemptors are, some people hate them, some people love them. I really enjoy them. You could go with different elites. The Wolf and Dreadnoughts, as Nick mentioned before, are super cool models, super cool lore. They could be a lot of fun to use. What you have a lot of flexibility with is in the fast attacks. Space Wolves have access to a lot of fast attacks. You have the Cyber Wolves, the Fenrisian Wolves, and the Thunder Wolves. Thunder Wolves are very expensive, but they're ridiculously good in combat, if you can get them into combat. They're very easy to move block, but once you get them in, they're so good that it fits into that death ball playstyle. You can put two units of three or maybe a five-man unit of Thunder Wolves with Lightning Claw, Storm Shields, Thunder Hammers, anything you want, and it will just feed into that killingness, into that death ball playstyle. All right, that's very cool. Okay, I don't have any more questions. No, I'm good. Nick? Jamie, thank you so much for coming in. Absolutely. Your, pleasure, you your, your passion for the wolves like exudes from you. <laughs> I just love the wolves. Man. They're so fun to use. I'm so excited to talk to you about these matchups in part two. Looking forward to it. All right, everyone. This is that special time of the episode where I tell you to go sign up for our Patreon. Or, uh, conversely, you can also sign up at theartofwar40k.com and get both of the Art of War podcasts, the premium versions of those, um, for a little bit of a discount. So it's worth checking out. Anyway, uh, for all of the, those of you that are patrons, we'll see you in episode two. For everyone else, we'll see you next week. Peace and love. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. AOW40K.